you know, as we all know, college is getting more and more expensive. So many, if not most students are relying on financial aid and scholarships to go to these schools. So to make this information difficult to find or to understand is not going to help your enrollment numbers. You're not going to trick anybody. So by trying to hide it or mask it or like, you're not tricking anybody into going to your school and being like, oh, surprise, this is how much it costs after the fact. You're just going to turn people off. So what we recommend is to provide transparent and accessible information about financial aid and scholarship opportunities on your website or in video content or on social media. There are a number of different ways that you can put this information out there. The most important thing is that it's transparent so that you're telling the truth and being as clear as possible and that it's accessible, that people can find it easily. Welcome to the Higher Ed Happy Hour podcast, brought to you by Unincorporated, a higher education agency committed to building awareness and growing enrollment for universities. This podcast provides deans, senior admin, and faculty with the tools, resources, and information they need to grow student interest, design branded content, and launch new programs and courses. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Higher Ed Happy Hour podcast. My name is Ian Evenstar, and I'm excited to host this roundtable discussion on a topic that is very important to us here at Unincorporated, enrollment marketing. And as a CEO of an agency specializing in helping universities grow enrollment, we have the best marketing strategists and specialists on our team. Here today, we have a few members from our marketing team, Robert Johns and Tor Leonard, and they're here to share our top five enrollment strategies along with their personal insights. Robert, Tor, how are you guys? Doing all right. Good, good. Good to be here. Excellent. Well, let's get into it. Enrollment marketing, as we know, it's a vital part of attracting those prospective students to your college or your university program. And with higher education market becoming increasingly competitive, it's essential for your institution to develop marketing strategies that differentiate from your competition. And since we've worked with deans, provosts, vice provosts, VPs of admissions, marketing, and communications for over a decade, We've developed a deep understanding of what works and, unfortunately, (laughs) what doesn't. So before we go in-depth on these top five enrollment marketing strategies that get the job done, let me just speak to them as a list. Number one, personalized communications. Number two, targeted digital advertising. Number three, student ambassador programs. Number four, campus visits and tours. And finally, Number five, transparent financial aid and scholarship information. So let's get started with the first on our list, personalized communications. Yeah, I'll take this one. So I think we can all identify with this idea that we want to feel like more than just a number or a data point to be marketed to. Students who are looking at a a university or college are the exact same. They want to feel like they're more than just a number. They want to feel like they're being seen and heard. This can take many forms uh, these days with, you know, the advance of marketing tools such as HubSpot um, and others like it. It is relatively easy to create tailored content that speaks directly to a prospective student's interests and aspirations. There are simple things that you can do within a tool like HubSpot where you can personalize their first name or last name in, in email communications 
depending on how you have it set up, you can also insert key data points or key information that relates directly to their interests. As an example, uh, as I was kind of thinking about it this morning, if you have a prospective student who is very much interested in maybe the, the sports programs or athletics or different things like that at your school, it might not resonate with them as much to send them information about clubs or, or things like chess or things that may not relate to their interests. But if you do have a student in the inverse, if you have a student who maybe wants to be a part of a chess club or is really into reading or history, but you send them only information about sports and concerts, again, it may not resonate. And those data points you can very easily tag within a tool like HubSpot or another marketing tool that you use and send information that is tailored exactly to their interests, putting you kind of at a level up above maybe other institutions who are competing for that same student. So all that to say, with the tools we have available to us, it's relatively easy to personalize information uh, in the digital sphere. And to not take advantage of those opportunities seems like a miss. Absolutely. That's a great example there. And Probably the, the leading reason why personalized communication is our number one strategy for enrollment marketing is because of the direct impact that it actually has on conversion rates. So I pulled some data points and wanted to share those to again confirm why this is the number one strategy, thinking about how you personalize your communication. So according to a study by Salesforce, they found that personalized messaging, as uh, Robert was just describing, that can actually increase the likelihood of a prospective student applying to a college or a university by 24%. Another study by the firm EAB found that personalized communications can increase application rates up to 30%. And then lastly, there was a study by Liaison International that I found in the research that showed that personalized outreach whether it's talking about chess or those sporting programs or extracurricular uh, opportunities, if those are personalized, they can actually increase enrollment rates up to 12%. So it's worth noting that personalization across the board in any of your higher education, marketing, and communications, it can take many forms like your email campaigns, your landing pages, personalized messaging in your SMS outreach, and all of which is going to, this is according to the data, it's going to put up double-digit improvements on your enrollment numbers. I'll just say one more thing, and I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think we understand that it would be nearly impossible to do one-to-one -one marketing and communication with every prospective student. Admissions teams, as we all are aware, struggle with bandwidth. They have so many students that they need to reach and only so many people on their team. So we're not saying that every student needs to have a one-to-one -one relationship with an admissions counselor or somebody on the admissions team, but there are ways that we can tailor our content to not feel so sterile, so generic. I just want to point out that we're not saying, we, we understand the needs and the requirements of admissions teams, and that's why these tools that we've been talking about, and, and we can help you kind of figure out how to use can make your job a little bit easier. Yeah, there's some clear limitations. And I think like any good consultant, Robert, you have to qualify all of this by saying, you know, work within your your means, the, the specific impact that personalization does take on your conversion rates. I mean, that's going to vary depending on your approach, 
depending on your tech stack, your own ability in-house. Uh, it might vary depending on the degree program. We found personalized degree program messaging does well, uh, depending on the specific program. And of course, your target audience. So uh, across the board, you know, there is some limitations and some variance, but nonetheless, the data is clear, <laughs> not just from these studies, but the success of our own campaigns that Anytime you make that additional effort to personalize your communications, it will have a significant impact on the success of your enrollment marketing. There's a, one other place, and this kind of leads into our second strategy, uh, one other place where personalization of your messaging and communications occurs, and that's in your targeted digital advertising, our second top strategy for enrollment marketing. Tor, tell us about this. Yeah, so when we're talking here about digital advertising, so just to lay the groundwork, of course, there's so many different types of digital advertising you could do, whether it be Google search ads, display ads, advertising on social networks, uh, OTT, which is over-the-top advertising, which is kind of a newer medium, which uh, it's the ads that you see on smart TVs or on streaming services when you're paused on the menu screens of smart TVs, that kind of thing. So the key when you're doing this advertising, and I'm kind of shocked when I see ads being run that don't really do this, is that you always need to, you should always be targeting based on either demographic characteristics or geographic characteristics, because you can have ads of that type that are what's called using geofencing, because you can have it be, oh, I want to only serve ads to people who've uh, gone to certain places in real life with their mobile device. And then also you can have the targeting based on, okay, I want it to go to people who've visited our site before. And, and even within that, it can be, I want to serve this ad to people who visited our site and didn't take an action or people are visited a site and did take a particular action. And what happens there is you start to have the ads kind of follow you around online. It can be weeks later and you're visiting different websites and you're still getting served display ads related to a, a specific site that you visited once perhaps. So I just want people to recognize that it's not enough to just go, oh, yeah, we're going to do some digital ads. Let's run them on these platforms. We'll target it at, you know, a certain state or a certain country. This is the sort of thing where you have so much flexibility for what messaging you want to put out there and in, in front of which particular demographic or geographic areas. So I feel like people need to spend a little more time taking advantage of the fact that you can kind of semi-personalize those ads uh, when it comes to those avenues. And I guess an overall point that I want to make is that the reason why digital advertising and cost per click advertising is so important now is because the days of social media and getting much of any organic reach on, whether it's your Facebook page, your Twitter account, those days are over. The LinkedIn even, the, it's, we're pretty much in a pay-to-play space now when it comes to virtually every social network where you can look at your insights, your analytics, and see it is very rare for you to do a post and have it be seen by more than maybe 5% of your followers without you putting some sort of budget behind boosting that post. So the days of kind of organic social media are behind us. Obviously, everyone hopes for, oh, we're going to do something. It's going to go into going viral. Maybe that will happen, but probably not very likely. So that's why we're putting so much emphasis on, you know, cost per click CPC advertising now is because it's a a bit of a pivot away from, from doing things on organic social channels. Something that relates back to your comment about over the top and like, let's use Hulu as an example. I always mm -hmm. kind of laugh. And this also happens when I'm watching kind of standard cable television. 
maybe more so there is when you're watching, I don't know, The Office or something on cable TV and a commercial comes up in the break and you're like, you think to yourself, I'm watching this show, but this ad has nothing to do with, it's like a medication or a product that's like mm-hmm. really unrelated to anything that I would need or want. And it always gets me thinking like, what information do they have and what demographic do they think is watching this show? And then when it comes to like Hulu or whatever platform you use, like clearly that they have the opportunity or the availability to see the data, to see who's watching. And when I get an ad on one of those platforms, that's again, com- feels completely unrelated to anything that I might be interested in. I kind of chuckle. I'm like, what did they like? What information about me did they think, ah, we should serve this ad to, to him. And maybe it'll, it, I don't know. I just think it's, it's funny what some brands or, or companies do in terms of their strategy for serving these ads. And I actually, that actually reminds me of an uh, interesting thing I wanted to mention is that I was reading recently about how the reason, one of the ways in which smart TVs can be sold so inexpensively now is because unless you dig down into the settings of your smart TV and far deep down in those settings where you can turn off, hey, I don't want this company to be able to sell uh, the data about what types of things I've been watching, when I've been watching. So yeah, that's the kind of info, Robert, that they can, they have that from, because it's running in the background, it's turned on by default when you buy these TVs. So uh, that's kind of, just kind of a funny thing about, oh, that's, that's why you can get the TVs so cheap now is because they're able to make money off of selling your data about your viewing habits and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. We have a couple examples in our own repertoire of campaigns that we've done, just thinking about the geo-targeting and the, and the geo-fencing. So one campaign for a music program was geofenced around high school music festivals. And so when you have people who are in band or concert or, or jazz band attending these festivals, what a great opportunity to geofence <laughs> that event and then show, of course, your program of interest to those people. And geofencing just doesn't stop at the time of the event. It can actually continue to track and keep that data for that prospective uh, student long after the event as well. We had another case where we were looking at engineering students for an entrepreneur program. And so we were targeting different like hackathons around the region and looking at those engineering events as an opportunity, again, to start to personalize and introduce our message about the program to those highly qualified and uh, best fit students. So clearly it's right message at the right time to the right audience, right? We've heard this a lot. Um, This is what makes it effective. But it's also, as you mentioned, Tor, this is a pay-to-play space, right? Not all programs have a large budget. Sometimes they need to get creative with their strategies. Uh, So Robert, maybe you could share a few opportunities as we look at our next strategy on our list where uh, you could maybe deploy something that doesn't cost as much. And if you don't have such a large advertising budget. Yeah, sure. So what we're talking about here is student ambassadors. What I often, as I was again, thinking about it this morning, prepping for our talk, the dynamic of higher ed can be really interesting and maybe kind of funny. You've got generally older, really smart people running institutions who are trying to market to high school, sophomore, juniors, and seniors. And there can often be a disconnect between those two demographics. You know, one, and at least in our experience, is very proud of their faculty and their programs and maybe their buildings and 
high school students often are interested in what's fun and what's the food like and what do I get to do while I'm on campus. And so you have this like almost disconnect between the two audiences, which is where student ambassadors can become a really key element to your marketing strategy. Institutions can recruit and hire and train student ambassadors and tap into the power of peer-to-peer marketing. You know, current students, existing students at a university can share their firsthand experiences and insights with incoming students or prospective students. They can answer questions and provide a unique perspective that resonates with their peers. You know, this can be formal questions like, what are the best programs and professors and how much do things cost to some of the more fun questions like, what do I do on a Friday night or, or what's the best food around here and um, what clubs are you a part of? These student ambassadors can provide a range of information uh, from a peer-to-peer standpoint. There's an example with one school that we worked with where they actually deployed this in the digital space. So they, had a web, they have a website, an admissions website where prospective students could elect to chat using like a a chat feature with student ambassadors. And they had, you know, let's say a list of 20 different ambassadors. It would list their photo, their name, their major, some of their interests. And these prospective students could say, okay, I think I would connect with or identify with this particular student ambassador. Let me set up a time to chat with them and, and get these questions answered. I've often seen student ambassadors using a kind of in-person scenario where if you come to a campus visit or you're there for orientation or whatever, that's where you kind of have those connections. I hadn't actually seen it done in a digital space before, which I thought was really cool. So whether you you want to utilize these student ambassadors in person or in the digital space, it's a great way to engage with prospective students and get um, what they might feel is a more authentic or real insight into the school or university. Yeah, and Robert, you've probably found also that these student ambassadors, I mean, they're eager to help spread your message, right? Like if you were to ask one of your you know, top students or outgoing students to speak and act on behalf of your program, they usually opt right in for it. Totally. I mean, even if they're paid student ambassadors, let's say they're on your admission staff as a student worker, I would assume that you're not going to apply for such a position if you don't actually like the school or like what you're doing and what you're a part of. Whether they're on the payroll or not, they are fans of the, the university and will provide objective, uh, maybe not completely objective, but unique insights um, that otherwise might not be shared with prospective students. Yeah. And I think they are, because of the fact they are student ambassadors, they are currently enrolled or you know maybe in some cases recently graduated. They are biased, but they are authentic to their point of view. So, you know, we say often in branding, you have to be authentic and true to your voice, true to your message, and that has to feel genuine and authentic. And your student ambassadors are going to speak from the heart in a way that is truly authentic to their own experiences and to your program. And that that's a win. You know, that's a very compelling message, especially when a prospective student has reservations or key issues and concerns they want to they want to air out. And now we're going to take a quick break. Want more of the most important higher ed news, insights and perspectives, but don't have time to look for it? 
visit unincorporated.com to subscribe to our higher education news brief, where you'll get the top stories in higher ed delivered straight to your inbox every Monday. And now back to the discussion. So another great way we're working our, our way through our list here. Number four on our list is campus visits and events. And this is another great way to supplement your student ambassador strategy. It actually helps warm up your prospect to what life on campus may be, you know, how the campus experience feels different than your competitors. And it's great for, you know, to have ongoing opportunities throughout the year that kind of supplement these other strategies that we've, that we've talked about. I want to spend a bit of time going deeper on this one just because of how powerful these are. They really allow the prospective student to immerse themselves in the culture and get a feel for your community. Uh, and as I mentioned, they are a, you know, a primary way to help differentiate from your competitors. It's sometimes difficult when you're looking at two brochures from you know, two universities Given the language and, you know, maybe they haven't done a good job of like calling out what genuinely makes them different. And a prospective student is going to be at a loss at really comparing apples to apples. But through a campus visit, an event, campus on campus experience, they can instantly discern what makes this campus experience different and unique compared to, say, one of the, their other top choices. Um, so universities, you know, and I know we're, we're preaching to the choir, as they say, but universities can host open houses, they can have information sessions, they can have campus tours. This could be done digitally or virtually as well as uh, in person. And this is all provided all within this strategy. So think about how you're creating and investing in those memorable experiences with prospective students. And guaranteed, this is going to be the number one driver to increase enrollments. The data here, again, proves out that this is the leading strategy. Uh, There's a study recently by the National Research Center for Colleges and University Admissions, and they found that this strategy is the most influential factor in a student's college selection process. Let me say that again. This is the most influential factor in a student's college selection process. That's 54% of students citing college tours and events as the most important factor when they chose that university. The same study by the National Research Center for College and University Admissions also found that students who visit campus, they're more, more likely to apply and enroll. So thinking about not just your application numbers, but your enrollment numbers, right? There's two cliffs of conversion there. Um, So the study found 64% of students who visited a campus applied to that institution compared to the 45% that didn't uh, apply if they hadn't visited. So this feels like it should really be our number one most absolute strategy on our list. And I'd say the only reason it isn't is because we know and we find that most admission teams already have this fairly well developed. But, you know, as a as they say, that it could always be better. You could always be revisiting your campus events and revisiting those college tours and looking for rooms of improvement. Maybe hearing these, uh, this, this discussion today has given you the inspiration to go back to your team and say, 
hey, look, this is the leading driver for our enrollment. <laughs> what can we do to enhance this? And uh, Robert, I think you have an example of a unique campus visit that uh, that you thought was particularly effective. Yeah, as I, I was kind of reading through some of the notes for our talk, I was reminded of my own experience. Uh, so the college that I went to when I was, uh, let's see, I would have been a junior or senior in high school. I can't exactly remember, but they had a program where you would come to the university for a full weekend. So you'd show up on a Thursday afternoon, you'd be able to stay in the dorms, eat in the dining halls, audit classes. They would often try to schedule it around maybe a football game or basketball game. They would throw a concert or something kind of bigger. Obviously, this is a this is a much more of an investment than say a college tour on a Friday afternoon. This was a full blown experience, and as the data suggests, thinking back, it was probably the reason why I selected to to go there. I visited other schools, but it was you know maybe a two hour event. Here's some classrooms. Here's some faculty. Have a good day. Whereas when I got to go there and experience living in the dorms and eating at the dining hall. It made an impact. Not only was it fun, but I could envision myself being there unlike other places. So obviously a strategy like that would require, as we've talked about, some investment, some money to put together. But it wasn't for just me. This weekend, you know, they invited hundreds, maybe thousands of students that would come to campus. And so you're able to basically plan one event for hundreds or thousands of students and get the impact. And if, you know, I'm, I'm sure I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but let's say 10% of those students end up coming, you've paid for the entire weekend, probably many times over. Yeah, absolutely. That That is really cool. And that that's maybe a little more in depth than um, what your program is, is willing to do. But again, I'm, I'll throw another data point uh, at our listeners here. The Educational Policy Institute found, like you, <laughs> found that students who visit a campus are more likely to apply and enroll with an astounding 72% of students who visit a campus actually enroll in that college or university. 72%. So think about how you could maybe personalize your communications, use targeting through your digital advertising and your student ambassadors to actually get people to your campus tours and events all of which is going to supplement this strategy and help you with that 72% of students who visit a campus and then eventually enroll. Wow. The other thing I'm going to um, provide here is that we had a talk recently uh, with the producer from the Amazon Prime series, the College Tour, a really cool series. They're going in-depth campus to campus all across the country to look and share what campus experiences are like at each of these campuses. So take a look at that. I think this is just a great way to maybe emulate or, or kind of supplement your, your, your offering uh, by looking at what other campus college tour experiences are like and maybe modifying yours or enhancing yours based on that. Uh, there's a podcast you can check out for the college tour as well as an article if you want to refer back to that. And then the very last thing I'd like to say on this, I know we went a little more in depth here, but uh, just that I think it's cool that there are actually some campuses that are even paying their prospective students to fly out and visit. So 
they obviously recognize the importance of this strategy and they're even willing to fly students out to experience campus firsthand. All right. So looking at our next top enrollment strategy, this is rounding out our list. This is the reason why, the reason why this is on the list is because it addresses the most important question and concern a prospective student has. So once they're aware, once they're interested, and maybe even once they're admitted (laughs) to your program, they're asking two questions. How much will this cost and how can I pay for this? So Robert, what's the best way to address these concerns and nurture that student into your college program? Yeah, it's really funny because at least in my experience, higher ed and money, for some reason, it's a touchy subject and we often don't want to address it. Yet, as you pointed out, it is often the number one barrier of entry. A student might like the campus and the programs and the faculty and the food or whatever else, but if they can't afford it, none of it matters. So this is often, you know, even before they've started applying or visiting campus, they're probably looking for and searching for information about how they're going to pay for it and if they can and can afford it. It's also interesting. This is the one thing that every college deals with. It's evens the playing field in many ways because every student applying to every college is going to ask the same question. How much does it cost and how can I pay for it? So, you know, as we all know, college is getting more and more expensive. So many, if not most students are relying on financial aid and scholarships to go to these schools. So to make this information difficult to find or to understand is not going to help your enrollment numbers. You're not going to trick anybody. So by trying to hide it or mask it or like, you're not tricking anybody into going to your school and being like, "Uh, surprise, this is how much it costs after the fact. You're just going to turn people off. So what we recommend is to provide transparent and accessible information about financial aid and scholarship opportunities on your website or in video content, or on social media. There are a number of different ways that you can put this information out there. The most important thing is that it's transparent, so that you're telling the truth and being as clear as possible, and that it's accessible, that people can find it easily. You want to make it easy for people to ask questions about their unique situation. So if there's a way that they can call into financial aid or chat or email and having quick responses you know, everybody's got a unique situation, whether it's, you know, parents or family or military or health. You know, there's a, any number of reasons why people might, may or may not be able to afford something. And so making it easy for them to ask questions and get personalized answers um, is going to set you apart from other institutions. I don't have the data in front of me. I'm sure we could provide it, but I would be willing to bet this is one of the highest search terms out there. How do I pay for college? What scholarship opportunities are available at X university? So not only does this help students make an informed decision and and feel like they're uh, engaging with a transparent and authentic institution, the side benefit here is that you get the search equity of having that information directly on your website. So this isn't on our list. We're going to consider this a bonus uh, strategy, but Tor, talk to us a little bit about SEO and and why that matters. Yeah, so I'm a little surprised when I've seen colleges and universities in their print advertising, billboards, TV ads. I've seen ones that they they do emphasize the fact of oh, um, you know, affordable cost, that kind of thing. But I've been shocked by how few seem to utilize that on their website itself. Like if you've ever been, if your college university has ever been acknowledged as 
you know, the most affordable business degree you can get in Florida or any particular state, you should have pages of your website that are specifically written to try to rank highly, rank well on Google for people searching those particular questions. Because those are exactly the types of search queries that young people are making when they're looking for, you know, what colleges and universities should I even be bothering to apply to? And so, yeah, just the the overall subject of SEO is there's simple things everyone should be doing. Like there's a bunch of free SEO audit tools out there. We offer our own even, unincorporated.com slash grow your enrollment. Uh, and so these, these no-cost tools out there that'll scan your website and identify areas for improvement, particular pages that if you made alterations to it, you could potentially rank higher in search results for those particular focus key phrases. And when we're talking about SEO, this isn't just about on-page SEO of what language is on your website. There's also the technical SEO side of it where you need to be worried about how quickly your page loads. When it does load, is there shifting of content? Those are all elements that Google looks at to determine how it's going to place you in the search rankings. So I just think it's it's an element to all this that I don't think enough colleges and universities are paying enough attention to, putting enough time into properly optimizing around. Because like I mentioned, with wanting to optimize, right? So it's also a forward thinking thing where you should be writing content moving forward that is written specifically from the perspective of we want this page to rank for this focus key phrase. So it's a lot easier to do that moving forward than to go back to your old content and try to modify that content to rank well for certain terms. And the reason why I like to put so much emphasis on SEO is that unlike social media, this is not some pay to play space now. Or yes, there's going to be a few ad results at the top of Google search results, But what's great about organic SEO is it's a world in which if you put great content out there that answers people's questions that they are highly engaged with, this is something where anybody can still rank well for particular key phrases. So I just I love it as an opportunity because it's not just some pay to play space. Oh, and also I wanted to mention, uh, sorry, one other thing to do with SEO. I need to get a little plug here for we recently published a ultimate guide to SEO for higher education. So if you kind of want a 101 high level overview of what it is, what is this comprised of, what are things I can do to improve our SEO, that's definitely something you should check out on our blog, on our website. So I absolutely love the fact that we're putting forward the strategy of making your financial information readily available. I'm talking about tuition costs that address you know, how much will this program cost and how will I pay for it? And then tying that, linking that to your ongoing content marketing strategy and your SEO. So really leveraging a keyword phrase like, how much does tuition cost at Florida State University, right? Making sure that you're showing up for that search. That is a number one search that students in your area thinking and considering your program, they're going to be entering. Um, it's not exactly branded fully, right? You're still adding the keyword uh, modifiers there around financial aid or tuition cost, but it does introduce your uh, your brand name as well. So really glad we we included SEO as it relates to um, to our last strategy. And yeah, we've had so much success helping universities and colleges grow their enrollment by optimizing their SEO on their website. This is, you know, uh, it includes publishing keyword-rich content that lands 
these programs on the, the first page results of Google search or Bing searches, and also by using Google Analytics to inform where the best investments are in terms of time and resources spent on ongoing web management, ongoing enhancements, and ongoing content publishing. So there you have it. Our top five enrollment strategies, personalized communication, targeted digital advertising, student ambassadors, campus visits and events, and lastly, financial aid and scholarship information with the bonus shout out for SEO and content marketing. Robert, Tor, thanks for your time. Thanks for sharing your insights and just continuing to support the mission of higher education. Yeah, this was a good conversation. Glad we did it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, before we go, I'm going to plug a few things. I want to leave the listeners with a final thought. We've seen college administration really embrace these strategies and our advisory work and grow exponentially. We've also seen administrators who know the importance of this type of work, but never make the commitment. So here's my hope. My hope is that if you need help with any of this, whether it's big picture, high impact enrollment marketing strategies, or maybe developing a comprehensive plan for your next year, please reach out to us. This is a genuine (laughs) ask to reach out. The conversation is free. We'd love to hear from you, connect with you, even if it's just to answer a question or provide additional guidance on a particular challenge you're facing. Or if you'd like to take immediate action on your website and improving your SEO, uh, increasing those conversions, go to unincorporated.com slash grow your enrollment. And that's where you can choose a campaign to optimize your website and continue to grow your enrollment numbers. There you have it. Until next time, thanks for listening. And we'll be back soon for another edition of the Higher Ed Happy Hour. Thanks for listening to the Higher Ed Happy Hour podcast. For more higher ed specific resources, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please visit unincorporated.com.